Hey y'all, this is Jay, and on this week's episode of the All Your Things Are Gone is Richie Parsons. Uh, I met him working at Newberry for a couple years. He was my manager um, at the Braintree store, and I think most people just know him from uh, from Unnatural Acts, but he's been active since then, been in a lot of bands, too many, I'm sure, to count, and I'm not even sure that even go through all of them or he remembers every single one so um, it's good to see him this is a long time ago uh, pre uh, pandemic at the space so yeah thanks for listening this is all your things are done The other band's leaving, but now we've got someone else coming in. Take a seat. I can't, you know, fathom the rehearsal space. Uh, like, you know, I saw a van out front and like kids getting, little kids, people getting into their band van. I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> a band van to me is like ancient history. Can't imagine doing it now. Uh, I mean, I'd jump in, I'd climb into one if we were going... You know, to New York or something, but I couldn't imagine doing more than a show or two driving around anymore. Did you, you know? ever tour? Uh, yeah, well, Unnatural Acts only did kind of one-offs. Yeah. So we played New York four, five times. Four nights at CBGB's with the Plasmatics. Um, a couple of kind of like showcase things mm-hmm. uh, that were kind of funny. And uh, other than that, um, Future Dads didn't really tour. Uh, we sure played a lot yeah. uh, every weekend, and we rehearsed, and we had the van, and, you know, we'd play up in New Hampshire, we'd be, but all, all kind of one-offs. Mm-hmm. Band 19 actually toured with Scruffy the Cat. We borrowed Gangrene's van <laughs> and drove to Canada and yeah. played five shows in Canada. You know, maybe it was five, could have been six, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the extent of it. We uh, Unnatural Acts had offers because we played with, um, after we played with The Police, which was 41 years ago this week, Yeah. by the way. I was <laughs> reminiscing about that with somebody. Yeah. So, well, we kind of got to be friends with um, the drummer. His, uh, his brothers, one had a record label, one had a booking agency, the CIA and the FBI, and I forget which was which but one of the Copelands. And uh, when we went to New York to play one time, we went to his office and he offered us a tour with Ultravox. And we were like, nope, got to go to work. Can't, <laughs> can't, can't, do, can't it. do it, got to go to work. How long was the tour? Um, it was one of these things like a Northeast thing, probably a week or two. Yeah. But we were just like, meh, no, thanks though. <laughs> you <laughs> do, know? You regret, do you regret any of that? No, no. no. I think... At that age, who knows? I mean, we we broke up in 1980, I think, and got back together in 1981. So it wasn't like, and we've played every year since. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. a couple of shows. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think a tour would have been like the right, the right thing. No. I, I wasn't prepared for it. 
you know, I was happy with meeting girls, playing in the club. I mean, playing in clubs and having a, having a blast. It was like the eye-opening whole new world, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't I don't think a tour would have would have served us well. But now we do one-offs. So we played out in Chicago at Hozak Fest. Uh, we played in Memphis at Goner Fest. Oh, cool. We flew to Rome and played a punk fest called The Road to Ruins. That's what kind of got us started on doing the one-offs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a silly story, but my daughter made a MySpace page for our natural acts in 2006. And I said to my wife, I go, look at how many people like us in Italy. Yeah. You know, like, and so I thought, say, this is really weird. And then uh, this girl, Susie from Rome, wrote to me and said, do you want to come play a, a festival? And I was like, yeah. And that was a really weird time because my wife was going through cancer treatment. So 2006, she uh, was diagnosed. And then the fall of 2006, between treatments and stuff, there was a week, a week and a half. And uh, that's when the festival was. And we went, we, we played one night, but we went all three or four nights, whatever it was. And they put us in a hotel for a whole week. So we just had a great vacation, you know, just the guys, mm-hmm. you know. And that's how we look at it now. Like going to Chicago or to Memphis, it's like, yeah, a weekend away. Yeah. You know, that'd be fun. We hang out, have some beers, see some new bands, mm-hmm. make some friends. It seems to, I, I'm pretty good at making friends with these things, too, because, <laughs> you know, I, I realize... You've always been pretty good about, about that, I think. Well, I, I, I tell them in advance, I go, I don't know how many people are going to come see us or know who we are, but thanks and and we'll have fun and we'll, yeah you know we'll drink your beer and and, and be nice <laughs> and we'll be polite and uh so we just got off it to play another one in uh, memorial day weekend but i don't know it sounds like the person emailed me or messaged me on facebook and said we're doing a festival do you want to play and i was like sure where <laughs> you know and what's it called? And it's like, oh, it's called Horrible Fest. And it's in Cleveland. I go, oh, sounds perfect. <laughs> sounds right up our <laughs> A out. weekend in Cleveland, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so I don't know. They, they got to get back to me. I told them. They're like, you know, what do you need? What do you want? And I was like, simple. Hotel for two nights and airfare and you don't have to pay us to play. You know, just who cares? Have you, you ever been to Cleveland? Nope. No, you haven't? <laughs> Never. So that's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's there, right? It is. Yeah. yeah. So we'll have something to do during the day. That, and I think, I'm not sure what the, uh, you know what, we, and Jesse and I were talking about this, what, what food is the food in Cleveland? Of Cleveland. Yeah. I think it has to be some sort of sausage type hot dog or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, Midwestern meat or something fried. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Whatever that is. <laughs> really, yeah. What's the food of Cleveland? What's I don't know. I, th- I think I've looked it up a couple times. Or, uh, you know, watched a show where they go, uh-huh. they go and eat the food or whatever the hell that is. Well, I'm telling you, that's Memphis. That's all we did. Yep. You know, where we're going to go eat Just next. Barbecue. I had the places. Yep. I had all the places lined up we were going to try out because my wife, Judy, already, she already planned where I was going to go eat because she said, <laughs> if I can't go with you, I'm going to make sure at least you get go to good, good places. Awesome. And in Rome... I don't have to say anything more about that. It was, mm-hmm. Food was unfreaking believable. Um, so, yeah, that's that's always part of any trip out of my house with anyone. <laughs> Anywhere. Anyone, yeah, yeah. Just out for the day. You're yeah, yeah where are we going to eat? <laughs> um, 
how was the scene in Boston around that time? Well, when, I, when Actual Acts first started playing? Yeah. People say, like, we were the first, like, punk band because I wouldn't have been in a band if it wasn't for punk rock. All the bands that I admired, like the Nervous Eaters, the Real Kids, and Willie Loco, and the Dogs, just all these, like, kind of North Shore rock bands, mm-hmm. they were already rock bands before punk rock was even thought of. And punk rock came along, and they used it kind of as a, you know, as a way to get people to hear them, you know, more. There was yeah. all of a sudden uh, more of an audience because there were knuckleheads like my band that were, you know, rolling around on the ground and smashing stuff on our head and, and you know, just having fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there were kind of art bands, like I'd say The Girls, La Peste, but we were definitely the kind of like the townies. And and that was really good for me because it got me, kind of got me out of Dorchester. And I wasn't in college. I was working in Feline's basement. And it opened my eyes to like different kinds of people than just the people in my neighborhood in Dorchester. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was, I go to loft parties, hang out with art students, you know, uh, all walks of life, you know, and it it uh yeah it opened my eyes to a lot of stuff and it was fun and i remember that stuff i remember from 17 to 20 77 to 80 better than 81 to 2000 <laughs> if you ask me about shows or if you ask me about who was there and the people i can i can go into boring detail about so much stuff and i don't know why I, you know it wasn't i mean Maybe the 80s, Ben IT, there might have been a little cocaine involved on the weekends, you know, <laughs> and that might make it, but, you know, it's not like we were just raging nuts or anything. Well, you were young. Yeah. More more cohesive memories. More yeah. impressionable, I yeah. guess. Um, but trips to places and, like, going, like, that, the weekend with the plasmatics was just, like, we all, I was, the, made me think of it when I was walking in here and I saw the kids in their van. I go, we piled into this little van plus a roadie or two that just wanted to go to New York. And, you know, we're driving through the village to go to CBGB's or wherever, and we see Joey Ramone walking down the street, and we lose our shit. We're all, like, screaming, it's fucking Joey Ramone, it's fucking Joey. And then we just stopped, and I said, yeah, he lives here. Yeah. So he's walking down the street. <laughs> yeah, that's right, he lives here. So it was just everything like that, all the, like, kind of famous people you run into. Well, famous, but, you know, people you admired. Yeah. You know. Famous for the time and obviously yeah. famous in your circles. Yeah, yeah. We got to open for a lot of the British bands that were coming over. The 999, who just played last night in Providence. Hmm. Uh, I, I couldn't go because I had I went three nights of shows last week, and I don't go to three shows in a month, so I was exhausted. And they were all old-timey shows. It was Stiff Little Fingers. Yeah, you old, went to Flame and Groovies? Flame and Groovies, uh. and Richard Lloyd was good. Boy, the Flame and Groovies were good. Way better than I thought. And they save the storytelling for the end, like near the encore and stuff. <laughs> and Richard Lloyd was good. He started out good and ended good. I thought it was a little lazy in between, but mm-hmm. um, but still, it was it was fun. I went to see the Mott the Hoople tribute at the Lizard Lounge too. So tribute, yeah, not the Hoople. <laughs> and it was it was a bunch of uh, know, a bunch of scenesters, mm-hmm. you know, doing it. Uh, oh, doing a doing a Halloween show. Uh, yeah, and they're just doing a tribute a tribute thing. You know, they, they had background singers. They had all different lead singers, Guy from the Watts and Dennis Brennan and 
Anthony Kaczynski, uh, just, you know, o- o- older rocker folks. Have you ever get to do doing that? Doing like a one of those Halloween tribute nights? <sighs> you know, Who would you do? Who would you I would do guess? the Modern Lovers first album. All right. That's, I mean, nobody. How long is that album though? Is it like twenty nine? It's not. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like twenty nine minutes. When everyone says how simple that music is, it's a great record. It's the nuances of every song are so hard to capture. You could play the chord chords and play along, but something about the way Jonathan sings stuff. Something. I mean, how could you try and like sound as honest and original and genuine is that I would pay it tribute and do my best and even do you know my best Jonathan impersonation if I could <laughs> but you know that would be the album like mm-hmm. when someone said would you ever do a tribute night I go that would be it or, or I would do a, a redo of the live at the rat album with like guests that either that might, might cool. still be alive or not, but you know something or someone mm-hmm. from that would have something to have done with those bands back then, and and just redo live at the Rat, just play it, you know, beginning to end live. Yeah, those are my two. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, those are a couple of things that I I, I have kind of bounced around. Would you do it like you, or would you try to do it as close well, to? I got to so so many friends that have been part of my bands it's like basically the i mean frank daler plays bass with me now he's played bass since unnatural acts yep. he's been in almost every band um i've always had different guitar players it seems different lead guitar players that are all crazy one way or another in their their own way uh so i'd have a lot to select from of my my friends you know yeah and then i'm i could ask people that i'm sure would be happy to do it you know but I think that, that that's that's a pretty fun idea. It is. I just realized recently, and there was like a Facebook memory where I posted maybe five or six years ago that I can actually go on YouTube and find a song I like and then look up the chords and play it because I I've, could never just listen to a song and play it. You don't have that natural ear? Not at all. No. I, if I didn't write it, and even the ones I wrote, I have to ask Frank how they go. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I just, yeah, I just found that out. So I was like, yeah, I could probably play some covers or try, you know, try. And that's why on my solo albums, the last couple, I just have a couple of odd covers on each one that Mm -hmm. might not be recognizable to the average person. But there's a reason why I picked those songs, you know, that that meant something to me. Yeah. Something, you know, meant something to me one way or another. So. Uh, I mean, that's always the best part of, obviously, a cover is that you do it the way or they mean something for you in particular but also that you do it the way you would do it yeah yeah even though like your interpretation of it. yeah and i can't get away from it i can't do a copy mm-hmm. and though i'll try and sing better because like maybe the glenn campbell song that i covered and it's still it's still gonna sound like honking nasal me it's not gonna <laughs> sound like glenn campbell but yeah you know the the there's a few yeah, there's a there's a, a few good reasons. I I, did, I covered a Richard Lloyd one on the last album because I just I had an attachment to that song because that album he recorded um, that it's on escapes me. Uh, the song Blue and Gray, 
a guy from Boston, Matthew McKenzie, who was one of the older guys I looked up to. Mm-hmm. He he plays on the whole album. He plays guitar. He plays piano. He was really a part of that record. So I was like, oh, you know, that kind of meant something to me. And the Tommy Keen cover I did because Tommy passed away uh, a year ago, Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just loved him and re- had reconnected with him recently, too, oh. through Facebook and stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I found a lot, I mean, through this, I found a lot of people uh-huh. I haven't talked to. I mean, I don't really talk to you that much. Obviously. No, I know. And I was listening to your Mark McKay um, mm-hmm. interview and you said it had been like 12 years. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. That's um, really I'm, something. I'm going to have like uh, Jen McCullough in here. Uh-huh. Awesome. Because uh, I'm going to do like a Newberry thing. Oh, I good. Just, I haven't seen her in like, at least, not as long, but like five years probably. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so. I saw her, I played a porch fest in Milton in the last two years. Um, I think they have, they have porch fest in Milton now. That's yeah, awesome. but you know what? It's so <laughs> spread out. Some of the snotty neighbors don't want it in their sure. neighborhood, you know. Yeah. So uh, Kate Dunton, who's married now and is now, um, whoops, I forgot her name. <laughs> uh, That's all right. Yeah, well, she has it, and she's had me play the last couple of years, so I see people from the old Braintree store. Oh, cool. You know, that have come to a Jen McCullough and mm-hmm. Kingsley J and Yezikevich. Yezikevich goes to every, everything anyway. God bless him. But that, you know, that's, yeah, those old Newbury people, uh, it's fun running into them. Most of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you said you, you grew up in Dorchester. Yeah. What, uh, who or what were you listening or what made you play guitar? Um... Probably the Ramones and the Dictators. Yeah. Um, even though I was going to concerts like Foghack, Montrose, Robin Trower, and all that stuff when I was Queen, when I was seven, uh, 14, all that stuff was like huge because my older brother was going to concerts, you mm-hmm. know, and, and that music was. And then one of my other brother's friends said, Oh, listen to David Bowie. I listened to this band. Um, geez, there was this kind of. English pub band, Ducks Deluxe. Um, I think that might have been Dave Edmonds or something. Hmm. So all of a sudden I was listening to this other stuff and Bowie I latched on to really good. And then just one day, this kid in my neighborhood, his dad worked at a radio station and he had a, a box of records. He goes, oh, these are from my dad. He goes, they're never going to play any of this stuff. So I flipped through it and I pulled out the first Dictators album and there's Handsome Dick Manitoba in his, you know, wrestling outfit. I go, this has got to be good. You know? <laughs> I brought it home and it was a game changer. Really? You know? Oh, geez, yeah. Just like funny as hell. Uh, hard rock. You know, I wouldn't call it punk. Because yeah. they were around bef- before punk, too. They'd already been like playing with Blue Oyster Cult and stuff, mm-hmm. you know. But it was something I could grasp onto. And then the Ramones. And then it just snowballed. The British stuff started happening while I was a senior in high school or junior in high school, and I, I started, you know, buying forty fives at the record store and stuff like that. So, that's that was my uh, kind of introduction to all that. Were you playing guitar at this point? Uh, no, I, I had a guitar, and I would turn the amp all the way up, <laughs> and I would put. I would put marbles between the strings with, with the fuzz box and the reverb and roll them back and forth just to see what... That was like my actually, no, the first thing like I did. Fun. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and like, shut up upstairs, you know. Because uh, then like, I didn't even, you know, I, I could 
play a, a, a D, a G, and an A. And, that, yeah. and I was like, okay, now what do, what do you go from here? And I was like, oh, I could kind of play along to the Ramones, you know? And I was like, all right, start writing my own songs. So that's what how me and Tommy kind of basically started writing. Did you always, Natural were you always going to be like the front guy? Did you always see yourself as uh, the front guy? Because you've been a manager for how fucking long. Yeah. Uh, Did one come out of the other? or you... No, um... Yeah, I guess I guess I decided because I couldn't play leads that I'd have to play rhythm, and if I was, was going to that was my thinking as well. <laughs> I could sing and play for rhythm me, for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could sing and play rhythm, so that was a start. Uh, and um, yeah, for it was always like I was always the president of Unnatural Acts. That's what we used to say. Like Frank was the uh, Frank kept track of everything, and you know he he did all the the footwork and writing the set lists and coming up with everything like that and mm-hmm. uh but i was like the the leader uh, but you know <clears throat> obviously we never it wasn't like an ego thing it was because we were still all pals and we still play together 45 you know years later almost well you just needed somebody to do it right yeah yeah and you know we we didn't know a drummer so a kid from the neighborhood worked in a parking garage with a guy that was a drummer and uh you know and then yeah, so everything was just like, okay, how do you do this? How do you do that? Now it's completely different. Now, yeah. now as long as you've got a, a, an iPhone, you, you could you could do anything. Uh, yeah, you I know? Mean, the guys in this band, in my band, they, the drummer and the bass player, they do all kinds of shit, and they, they just record everything on their on their iPhones, mm-hmm. and they send it back and forth. Yeah. And they're making a record like that. Yeah, I, I find it pretty invaluable if just to have in the car if I have a thought or an idea. And then I just, after a few months, I'll go back and play all my voice messages that I left for myself. <laughs> and it's sometimes it's pretty comical, but other times, you know, I'm like, ah, good. I, there's an idea. There's something I would have never gotten to just because, like, it used to be I'd sing something to myself all the way from Feline's basement to rehearsal out in Brighton to mm-hmm. try and remember it. Or if I had something, like, I'd write it down and write some primitive notation of what it should sound like, you know. But, uh, this is great, you know. Do you, were you always, did you always see yourself as a songwriter? Or did it come easily? Uh, at the beginning, it was so goofy, it was easy. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I saw a movie, that, you know, Hitler's Brain, so I wrote They Saved Hitler's Brains, and it's the plot of the movie. I saw another movie, <laughs> uh, Twisted Brain, and that was The Creeper. And so, you know, I wrote the, I wrote the lyrics, uh, mm-hmm. you know. And then, uh, then I kind of started getting maybe influenced a little by stuff. So, you know, yeah, Can't Wait for the Summertime was just one of those ones where it was like I used to take the train into Harvard Square or Chemo Square, and I was like, I fucking hate these students, you know? <laughs> and I was like, you know, and you're still I can't wait today. for the summertime. You know, I can't wait for the summertime. So... Yeah, it was it, it kind of was just like, oh, so this is what we do. We write about shit we know or we make up stuff for the fun of it. Yeah. But then when I then it was it was different through Future Dads cuz Future Dads I was trying to get away from the punk and trying to do a little more power pop. Mm-hmm. And that's when the hardcore scene started. So, you know, I didn't I wouldn't have had a place in that anyway cuz I didn't care for it. I mean, plenty of nice people I know, but yep. it just wasn't my my scene. 
I liked Gangrene because they were more of a rock band, you know, than than a hardcore band. But made you know plenty of friends through that. But Future Dads were trying to do something else, and then Band Nineteen came along, and that was definitely more of the hard rock uh, thing. Just Fritz was just such a great guitar player, and Mike was a rock solid drummer. So it was that's the kind of way it went. And I did I think I did a lot more sharing and songwriting in band 19 mm-hmm. future dads was mostly mine um and then after band 19 tomato monkey were around were around for freaking ever it seemed you know and that was always with a different drummer mm-hmm. brownie wrote most of the songs but we really all contributed the problem with tomato monkey was we rehearsed too much we drank too much and we could never get a song finished by the next rehearsal, someone had another pot or someone, <laughs> or, or someone, you know, had another song to do. And like the songs just became these like opuses almost. But uh, that's strange for a band like, you know, that ilk. to. Yeah, because that was more like 90s sounding, you know. Yeah. You know, but it was like, I don't know, there was, there was some good riffs in it and stuff. But and, and Brownie's a fantastic guitar player and, and writer. But yeah, it was weird how long that that band went on. And that was the time when I wasn't. That was my last rehearsal space band because we Where rehearsed un, under Looney Tunes. Oh shit! Yeah, that place. That was a great rehearsal spot. And uh, one one time we went downstairs to rehearse, and all of our equipment was gone, and we shared the space with the Volcano Sons. Oh really? And they took all our gear because they had a gig at the Channel, and they, <laughs> I don't know why they didn't take theirs, but they all our ramps were gone. Oh yeah, Volcano Sons. Yeah, Peter Prescott. That's right. Yeah. What year totally. was this? Was, uh... Um, was what's his nut still in it? The bass player, or was it? They, was he gone already? Uh, Bob Weston. Bob Weston. Yeah, he might have still been there. Yeah, but you know, uh, that rehearsal space was really cool. We did a lot of, played a lot of good music down there. Even like Newbury Comics guys at that time, because that was late '90s. Yeah, we're down there. Chris Foley and Doug, and that's when those guys. I, I kind of became friends with those guys too. So when it, when did you start at Newberry? What year? Um, well, let's see. I left in 2017, and I'd been there 33 years. So does that make it 84? Mm. Yeah, 84 I must have started. So, yeah, 33 years at Newberry. Was, uh, I think I gave them 30 solid years of work, though. <laughs> I can honestly, <laughs> yeah. I can honestly say, <laughs> maybe a year or two in the middle, or or maybe well, at the spread end. out, yeah, spread yeah. out that little Just, messy part a bit. <laughs> sure, sure. I think I, I, I think I, I gave them probably twelve solid years. Worked there for fourteen. Yeah, you know. Yep, exactly. <laughs> There's a little bit at the end, maybe mm-hmm. some in the middle that I wasn't so proud of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, were you just part time there when you started, or did you just? Um, no, I think I. I think I started full-time uh, on Newbury Street. And I remember the first job that, uh, first two things that Mike and John made me do was they had this, that industrial um, shelving. Were, were they actually, they were actually, still they were work, there. They were still working in the store. Yeah, yeah. And they had like that, that industrial shelving that they had in the warehouse with the, the metal and the particle board. Yeah, and the clips. That yeah. Get, yep. And I had a secure it to a brick wall with a hand drill and a screwdriver <laughs> you know you, you know bang in the lead lag yeah and then right. screw in with a screwdriver like my palms were like and, bloody yeah <laughs> and, and like john bruska's like 
Yeah, I'm glad your family didn't settle the West. <laughs> he always had a joke like that. <laughs> but and then the other thing was the other thing was they had a whole bin of uh, vinyl. This was before CDs, and uh, I had to separate the major labels from the indie labels. And I was like, "What's a major label? Yeah, what's what's an indie label? <laughs> you know." That's when Peter Gates made fun of me because I didn't know the difference between the birthday party and Bauhaus. Mr. Parsons. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, can't wait to have him in here. Oh, God, he's awesome. Um, how, I mean, how important before, I mean, before you started working there, and I guess continuing working there, how important was Newbury at the time for Boston or like Oh, it was really important. They were the probably the single biggest supporter of the scene through, you know, them selling people's records, creating Boston Rock Magazine, which supported the bands, putting on shows. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely, uh, super supportive, and they had all the you know the really cool imports and uh, you know forty fives and stuff like that too. Um, about the same time as, well, slightly after when when everything started, but you know I think Dries would like go to England and buy a ton of shit, and then or they would they had uh, there was an import of Gem Records that I remember, like that's how he got all the stuff because I used to go to Discount Records in Downtown Crossing as well to get my all my punk rock fix. Mm-hmm. I got all my forty fives. I still have all my forty fives and how many forty fives records. Do you have? I just bought maybe six of those little boxes, oh. you know, six of those shoebox type things. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'll still buy 45s, I don't, you know, I'll, or if I go to a show and I want something from a band, I'll buy the 45, you know, mm-hmm. just because it's fun. It's fun to sit and put on a record, you know. That, I mean, you do do, I mean, you said that you, you went to three shows last week or something Yeah, like that. crazy. But I feel like, I mean, you go to shows... I mean, you go to more shows than I do, for fuck's fuck sake, for sure. No, no doubt. Uh, I mean, are you, how connected are you still to, like, this shit? You're, well, buying, you're still buying seven inches and shit? I know. I know. And it's, it's kind of old-timey stuff. Like, as I said, Stiff Little Fingers and older bands. Yeah. Uh, but I, would, I mean, I would have loved to see Stiff Little Fingers oh. and, and Flaming Groovies. Yeah. I, I told Jesse, I was like, if they played Flamingo and, you know, uh, Ed oh. back-to-back... Yeah. I yeah. like, I would have been there. Yeah, and a great version, great story behind Teenage Head, too, which was hysterical. Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. The um, he, um, the singer, Cyril, Cyril Jordan, he's, uh, it's 1969, he's hanging around with the Beach Boys, he's at some big festival, and he meets Kim Fowley, who was, like, record producer. Mm-hmm. He ended up producing The Runaways and all that stuff. But I think he, like, one of his big hits he produced was the song Alley Oop. You know, whatever. So, and Kim Folly gave him acid, and they both took acid, and they said they were. He was so freaking high, so fast, he couldn't, you know, imagine. And Kim Folly kept saying, uh, going up to people, asking, uh, "Where can I find some teenage head?" And he asked, like, really? he asked like so many people that this guy Cyril it got it into his head that like there must be a booth here there, you know it's like a festival there must yeah. be a booth here that says teenage head or something and he goes he goes he made the mistake of asking Linda Ronstadt and you know yeah <laughs> so it was like all the and he was like it wasn't like he was name dropping crazy but it was just like putting the time into perspective really cool and uh 
So well, then he ended up writing the song using that because he said it just stuck with him. That you know used that term. Mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing. Well, it, when I when I started getting into some of that stuff through like Chapman, mm-hmm. Corey, uh, not Corey, uh, Tom Chapman, um, uh, putting like thing, putting people like Linda Ronstadt into perspective. Yeah, knowing her like from like listening to like his her like garbage easy listening stuff right. like in the 80s mm-hmm. just being in the car with my parents right but then putting her in context of like she was in the middle of a lot of that country oh yeah and, absolutely you know it, it, it's really uh opens your eyes to see to where a lot of that stuff comes from and mm-hmm. who's involved I, and and only recently like in 1977, if you asked me if I liked Glenn Campbell, I would have said, Rhinestone Cowboy, fuck you. <laughs> right? Then, like, I now, like, it, my mind is like, oh, still Rhinestone Cowboy, fuck you, but, like, Wichita Lineman, and I got, I saw him in his last tour when he was, you know, struggling with Alzheimer's mm-hmm. and his kids were his band. I, I cried. I mean, it was, oh, so unbelievable. Uh, and, and that got me into more bands like the Flying Burrito Brothers and, yeah. you know, Grandpas and stuff and, you know, the, was it the something submarine band? International submarine Yeah, band. yeah, like, and so, uh, and I think I got more into that stuff because I was writing songs that were not like an 18-year-old, yeah. you know, not like being a silly punk rocker, but, you know, all of a sudden life had changed and you know I hadn't written songs for 10 years or even played music in my own house you know <laughs> and then all of a sudden you know shit happened and, and then, yeah. I, then there's a, there's like stuff pouring out so and that's another good reason to have a phone because you know you got to keep track of that stuff if you're in a particularly creative phase so uh, a lot of that music just kind of influenced my I, guess, I don't know not my sense of how to write a song, but if I wrote something, I'd, I'd check myself more often. Like, is this really where I want to go with this? Or, mm-hmm. you know, does it need a bridge? It's like, what is a bridge? You know, what's, <laughs> you know, what do you need a bridge for? And crazy enough, there's a guy that I met on through MySpace. I've still never met the guy in person, and he's co- co-written about a dozen of my songs really? huh? uh, from my past couple of albums. Yeah, I call him the dentist. He does my bridge work. <laughs> oh man, that is, he's, that is a that is a Richie joke. He's got he's got a super, <laughs> but he's got a super pop sensibility. Mm-hmm. So I got a verse and a chorus, and I'm never sure which is which, but I, they're both hooky. And then then he would kind of put it, you know, into perspective and say, "Now, how about this for a bridge?" I go, "Yeah." you know yeah okay cool mm-hmm. or it's say no that one leave it leave it alone doesn't need a bridge you know i didn't always agree with them you know and sometimes i did something on my own but it's really funny yeah uh, i guess I, that's interesting I, like your songwriting i know we talked a little bit about it but when did you feel it changing was it was it can you was there a particular time was there a particular band did things go like did you 2006 go, yeah when judy the, the year that Judy got cancer, she bought me a, one of those little uh, digital recorders for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And as I said, I hadn't even played music in my own house. Uh, you know, guitar. What was it, like a Tascam? Like I just, a... Yeah, yeah, Tascam digital mm-hmm. thing. And 2006 is when the acts went to Italy. 2006, I, I met 
these people in Italy. I was just like getting so much music poured into my head all of a sudden. And I just started writing. So I was writing songs for this guy, Alex, and this girl, Astrid, so that when if I went back to Italy in the spring, maybe we could record an album. So, you know, it's an EP mm-hmm. and there's a couple of covers, but it, it was like I was writing songs with other people and I was sending stuff to people, see what they think and that sort of stuff. And then, you know, through the whole, the, the Judy thing was, was, was tough. I mean, it was tougher on her than me. <laughs> she had the cancer. I didn't. But it makes your head go fucking crazy. You well, know? you've gone through your own fair share of 2008 is when I had, garbage. yeah, 2008 yeah. is when... And it's still, I have like my brush with whatever today. Yeah, you know? I, as of May this year, I have not felt better. I had surgery again in May, four new rods, you know, out with the old, <laughs> in with the new. And every they, time, they every, every time I hear you're like in going to the surgery, and I'm like, how the fuck is he doing this? <laughs> but this time, I sleep wrong, and I'm like, I can't get up. <laughs> <laughs> well, this one was a good one because I was up the next day. They had me walk, and I said, "You kidding me? You're gonna, I'm gonna get out of bed." The lady said, "Get, get up. We're gonna go for a walk down the hallway." What was different about this one compared to the other? You had two, well, I had three surgeries. Yeah, this is the third. Two thousand eight, I got a major infection and was out of work for more than six months. Can you can you pinpoint a cause? Was it hockey? Was it nope? It was just a weird thing that a tumor crushed one of my vertebrae. Okay, they had to take it out. They put in a spacer. And I think that little bit of hardware is where the infection came from. Because mm-hmm. in 2011, when I snapped one of the rods, they had to take them both out, put in two new. The infection came back again. So that was like really miserable and painful because that the infection doesn't make it easier when the wound won't heal and all that stuff. Yeah. They zipped me up this time. Everything was freaking fine. So, uh, you know, at, at like Easter time, I think I was like five foot five and now I'm back to five foot ten again you know really yeah oh I was like I saw two of my buddies at a birthday party and I go I was never the same height as you guys and but I was so crunched over and curled over Mm. because both of the rods had snapped at that point and I was kind of miserable but (laughs) But, I mean I think I saw you like a week after the surgery and I mean you were hunched over yeah you were standing up right for the whole show yeah oh no that um the Lucifer was before the surgery. Oh, before? Oh, okay. yeah. all right, all right. Yeah. That was you were before. still standing up and you were in a lot of pain. Yeah, oh, yeah, I was in good pain. That's pretty fucking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did, any, did any of that come out in the music? Um, sure, the first go-round. Even songs that were on my last album I did t- two years ago. There's stuff from that, yeah. Just like, you know, it was tough. Um, days where, like, in some of the lyrics are like, you know... I couldn't stay awake and I couldn't sleep and you know so I I, I was just in this limbo of uh, you know um, Vicodin and uh, um, whatever whatever uh, Valium is called yeah uh, Benzodiazepine or whatever mm-hmm. uh, you know and that wasn't that wasn't any fun because I was just kind of an emotional wreck and it was winter and it was, you know, everything was gray. It was seemed like it was never daytime. And so there's a real lot that came out of that, you know, and with different, how different people reacted to it and friendships and stuff like that. So, but yeah, I mean, you know, I wish you didn't have to be that extreme to get a 
few songs out of it, but <laughs> was there ever a time where you couldn't write during that time? Like, was it just too um, excruciating? Or well, that's just it. I, I didn't during that time. I couldn't read a book. I couldn't watch a movie. And people are like, "Oh, you know, here, have a book. You know, while you're doing nothing. Uh, hey, you should hear some videos, uh, DVDs." And I was like, I just couldn't focus on anything. Yeah. The only thing I could really watch is like Lizzie got me some. Italian horror, some Dario Argento stuff, and we had fun watching that. But you know, other other movies, I I just I couldn't focus, I couldn't do anything. But um, it was kind of coming out of that when I started physical therapy, when I stopped taking a single pill. That I started to realize the emotions of what I had mm-hmm. been through. Had you written anything down, or did you? Just everything yeah yeah pa- pa- pads of paper that little recorder mm-hmm. was came in really handy that's before I probably had a phone I could sing into a, a, a talk into but um, yeah that's when all that really revved up you know 2010 11 12 and went back to Italy I did go back to Italy in that 2007 I did record the record with my friends and um, so there's lots of Modern day influences, sort of. Um, do you want to talk about your last record? I mean, sure. The one that just came out. Yeah, I'd love how, to. How did uh, how did it come about? Um, were any of these songs that you're talking about? Yep. There's there's material that's yep. still you know that that I, I had had saved you know and reworked. I found it, I found that it was okay to work on something until you think it's right. And, hmm. you know, I used to have like, oh, here's the song, it begins, it ends, that's it, I'm done with it, let's record it. Um, but but having these little fragments of things on the phone, you know, makes you kind of go back. And, okay, so I'm going to listen to this again. Now, where was I going with that? And what can I do? Um, so that's how a fair amount of the stuff on this album is. Uh, I mean, some, some of it's relatively current, too. But um, I find that, like, not even... Like, okay, so they're a couple of years old. What does that mean? I missed the boat on them? No. Uh, it's like, who cares anyway? Um, I, yeah. got, I got a producer and a band, and this is what I'm going to do this time. So unlike the first album, um, Ken from the Posies produced that, and he produced this one too. Um, the first one was more all over the place. Like, I had friends from California playing on it. I had friends in Italy, two, three different friends in Italy playing on it. So it was all like I'd send them a thing, they'd record it and send it back to yeah. me and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and this time we went into the studio as a band uh, and did it in like three days. Then I gave Ken all the, uh, he, you know, he took the computer drive and he went and added whatever he wanted to it so you gave him license to just like... oh yeah yep yep so like his daughter's singing on it he's singing the thing with ken he's such an awesome singer yes I, I can't pre- reproduce my own songs live as good as the recorded ones but i kind of don't care because i'm not going to go find a band where everyone can sing but they're not my friends mm-hmm. you know it's like i'll sing my songs and yeah but so yeah i gave him complete license to like one time he texted me it was like four in the morning but he was in an airport in dubai putting cowbell on a song you know just because (laughs) you know he's always traveling the world doing stuff and Hmm. um and i i really respect him and he knows how to make my simple songs sound a little bigger 
and that's kind of all I, you know where I mean, did you meet him at a Posey show or at a I, I met him in Rome when I went back the second time in the spring of 2007 hmm. he was playing with a band called Chariot and Chariot had oh my god I'm, I'm guessing not it. the hardcore band Chariot no no <laughs> this was a guy from uh, White Flag I think maybe an Escovito from, cool. All right. from uh, maybe that. the Dragons or one of the uh, you know because um, the Zeros played that that sh- that weekend too mm-hmm. but uh, you know kind of met him I was like, uh, like he kind of rubbed me the wrong way and so that was the you know that was that but then my friend Susie the one that brought us to Rome in the first place says uh, Ken's got a band of these guys from Norway and they're called the Disciplines they're going to play in Boston. Can you stay at your house? I said, yeah, sure. And then I really liked the disciplines. Mm-hmm. And then we really kind of hit it off and I played him a few songs. He's like, yeah, when you get stuff together, you know, give me a buzz, you know. Really? And then he made suggestions like right then and there at my, you know, at my kitchen table. You know, I was like, cool. All right. So then he stayed another time when he came through solo and then I had the first album ready and he said, all right, record what what you've got recorded because I was recording it when I could. He said, uh, I went through all the songs. How about you come to Paris and we record these three together and then I'll, you know, produce and play some extra stuff on the other stuff for Paris. It. Yeah, so I went to Paris and that was the first album. That's awesome. Yeah, it was totally awesome. And So you've uh, gone like more places post oh, he, all your Boston Absolutely. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. 100% that doesn't happen that often. No, I, I know. And then, so then when the new album came around, kind of did the same thing. I sent him a batch of songs. He paired 15 down to 12 or whatever mm-hmm. and said, let's do these ones. And he said, do you have a plan? I said, yep, I actually have a real drummer. No offense to my buddy Tommy, but Tommy didn't play on the whole first album, but played with us live. Mm-hmm. Um, but Unnatural Acts played a show at the House of Blues with Human Sexual Response and they were a band that started the same time as we did, and they got pretty famous, so that's why we were playing House of Blues. <laughs> and uh, they asked us to open up because they had a flyer from like one of their first gigs, and it was us and them. Awesome. So we used that flyer for the 40-something anniversary. anniversary of the show. And the drummer, uh, Malcolm, from The Humans, was, lives in Boston, and he used to play with Bob Mould and Sugar. Huh. So I said, Malcolm, what are you doing? You want to play some music? He's like, yeah. Well, send me a CD. So he really loved my first CD. So I said, well, let's record a new CD. Oh, cool. and so so we had a real band in the studio. Um, Doug Hopper uh, plays guitar. He's a Newbury Comics guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Frank Daler on bass. So, um, yeah, it was a blast. And I did a Kickstarter. Yeah, so there's how no did that, that work me, out? To me, there's no... Uh, you know, record labels, good for them. I'm glad they're around. I, Are they I, around? I don't, maybe maybe, sure they, they maybe they are maybe they are <laughs> <clears throat> but I said I wanted to raise uh, 16,000 bucks because I knew you know I, I, I wanted to give everyone a really awesome vinyl choice mm-hmm. I used that place in Vermont you suggested oh yeah yeah Burlington yeah. yep yeah and uh, the packaging I have an artist friend that I paid you know to do amazing work she made a, a another friend of hers made the promotional video for me Another friend of hers did all the photography for the promotional thing. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't coming out of my pocket because I raised the money. Yeah. 
And I made something that I'm really proud of and looks awesome. It does. And so, like... Uh, Sounds great, too. Yeah, and Ken made it sound great. <clears throat> so, you know, it cost 16 grand. In the end, it cost me about 20 grand. But everyone that contributed got some really great stuff. Yeah. Um, and I got some records to, you know, to sell at gigs, CDs mm. to sell at gigs, and uh, T-shirts and that sort of stuff. So it was good. And then the, the only surprise was when I got the statement from Amazon that I had $16,000 extra in earnings and I had to convince my accountant that I, I <laughs> saved every receipt for every single thing I spent on the whole thing. Yeah. And that's when I realized I spent 20000 So he said, oh, good. Okay, that's good. <laughs> that's a loss. He goes, but they may come back and say it's a hobby. I go, mm, take the chances. <laughs> yeah, you're selling it, right? <clears throat> right. Yeah, you're getting it. Right. So yeah, and I I was like totally legit. I paid the whatever the service is that you when you cover somebody's song and you have to give them credit. Oh, you paid. You wow. have to pay. Yeah, it was like you know a couple hundred bucks a song because I, mm -hmm. I said I, I'm making you know 500 CDs, 250 vinyl or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it was like a couple hundred bucks a song. Were you dealing with artists at that point, or were you dealing? No, with... it's an agency. Okay. Uh, yeah, Frank something. I don't know, but yeah, I have it. You know, I, I look at it every couple of years when I do a record, I guess, and see what songs I'm going to cover. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I just figured it has to be legit. And some places won't press it if they know it's a cover and you, ha you haven't paid, Yeah. you know, your royalties or whatever you call did, it. Did Burlington ask you that? Uh, I think those guys are pretty cool. Um, I did have to, I, yeah, I had to submit the form I sent to the CD press in place mm -hmm. that says, you know, who wrote all the songs and that sort of thing. Where did you get the CDs pressed? Do you remember? Um, I don't even know. I, I think they were at the, the, the art place is in Florida, but they <laughs> ship out, they ship the CDs to a place in uh, Chicago. You know, they said, we use two places. We use one place for the metal, for the metal music, and we use another place for whatever. <clears throat> for your stuff, we'll send it here. I said, yeah. all right, whatever. But I'm happy with the sound and everything, you know. Particularly, yeah, I like sounds the, great. There's some good stuff going on. When I listen to it, I hear, like, stuff I didn't hear the last time I listened to it. Because, mm -hmm. like, Ken layers stuff in there pretty nice with vocals or little stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, having him on your... Or, so he played, he played as well. He sang, he said... Yeah, he played some baritone guitar. He played <clears throat> a couple... Uh, he played one of the leads... Doug did all the leads the, the mm -hmm. very first night because he had to go to Disney World with his kids the next day. And he killed it. I mean, it was unbelievable. He did all the leads in like one take. And then there was one song, um, Six Hours Ahead, that um, didn't have a lead on it, but Ken wrote it, this awesome lead for it. And I was like, oh, that's good. Doug can learn that in a second. <laughs> <laughs> It is so strange because he, he does have like a very angelic kind of voice. Yeah. And he wasn't the lead singer in that band. Very well. I, mean, I know. He, I mean, he did some songs, obviously, right. but it right. was mainly John who did most of mm -hmm. the lead stuff, right? Yeah. And even the lead guitar, I think, on most yep. of them too, right? I'm, not always, I'm always struggling to go, is this a Ken song? Is this a John song? Does John sing Ken songs? Because, <laughs> you know, I can't tell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, that was one of the greatest things, because I'd never seen them. I was always too young to go uh -huh. to shows, and then when I when I got to go to that show, 
that you, I think you had a hand in setting up. Oh, the one at the Royale? Yeah. No, that oh, was the one in Oh, the Somerville one, yeah. yeah. Okay. It was a three-piece. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, it was great. Yeah. They, yeah. It, I was real happy to see them uh, as the posies because I didn't see them, I hate this term, back in the day. <laughs> I, I didn't see them when they were were when they, all the kids at Newbury were crazy about them. Yeah. Um, they just, for some reason, weren't on my radar. Did you, were you listening to them? Uh, not till after, like, Doug and Joe Yezikevich made me, you know, <laughs> like, a few records in. Then I realized, like, a buddy of mine worked at a label that signed him, and and and, and his name was on the record. I go, oh, that's, that's crazy. But sometimes music slips by you. You can't listen to everything. No. You but know? you're you, like I said, you seem more plugged in than most. Yeah, especially having not being at Newbury anymore. You also like a lot of straight up like pop music. Yeah, you know, like dance music and stuff like that. You, yeah, I'm totally you okay. You don't discriminate. Nah, I'm all right. I'm all right with uh, with with a couple of my female pop things that you know <laughs> any any fourteen year old girl would like. <laughs> <laughs> the fourteen year old girl, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Do you, I mean, is there something you're appreciative about them? Is it the songwriting? Is it, is it just like the, just the known? Um, let's see. I, I, I like Britney because she's cuckoo <laughs> as can be. Like, like, I actually even follow her on Instagram and she's cuckoo bananas. But, you know, I took my kid to see her when she first came out mm-hmm. and then I, there was a few things I liked after that that were, that, you know, just good pop. Yeah, you know, uh, good pop sensibility, um, but yeah, yeah. Sometimes I just like crazy stuff because it was funny. He has a good one because my daughter and I went to see Ian No. Who's that man? <laughs> He's this Appalachian guy that's like young um, Pearl Jam singer guy. Eddie Vedder. Yeah, young Eddie Vedder, handsome, but plays like old country style with kind of I hate the term Americana but a little Americana he is freaking and Dylan Dylanish too and I'm not I could interesting. oh he is so darn good so she heard him on WUMB told me about him mm. I really got into him so we got tickets to see him at the um, Great Scott and a friend of mine from Newbury was there and she said to Elizabeth um Oh, what kind of music do you like? And she goes, I like good songs. I like good songwriters. You know, because she wouldn't be pigeonholed. Yeah. And so that's like kind of how that it's like how I feel about liking all kinds of music because there's something I'm gonna like, you know. So I won't just say. You, I, have I you like always been thing. like that? You think? Yeah, because of my dad. My dad had my dad was a easy listening record collection like for miles. See, I, still, I, can see I had. That. I mean. It, you say you weren't that into Glenn Campbell back in the day, right. but like, <clears throat> but then I learned to appreciate it, mm-hmm. you know. And that's just kind of a maturity thing, you know. Sure. I, I would have, like the first time Rick Hart gave me a record he produced, I took it and threw it on the ground and stepped on it, and he that's because too bad. because I didn't like the, <laughs> because the band and our, our band and their band like fought over a gig or something ridiculous. Yeah. But so it's a maturity thing, yeah, you sure, know. Sure. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> but um, yeah, I I, I kind of like appreciate more music now just because uh, I can absorb it I guess mm-hmm. yeah do you think that has influenced a lot of what you're doing now mm-hmm. yeah 100% sense? um 
I've, as I like write a song and hear a song that I wrote and I think, where the hell did that come from? And then it's crazy, but I'm drawn to AM radio in 1968, apparently, because like three or four songs I picked to cover, which I haven't yet. I said, when the hell did this come out? And it put me in my kitchen on a Saturday morning listening to AM radio each time. Hmm. And, and you know, that had, had a real influence. And that's like if someone asked me what my new stuff sounds like, I say, well, I'm influenced by 60s AM radio. You won't hear all that, but that's what kind of yeah. I'm influenced I was gonna by. I going to say, like, I mean, is, is, you think the next yeah. record's good? Yeah. Um, should be one up here. Oh, need that right there. The refrigerator was off when I came in. Ah, that's all right. We go through periods of time when no one's in here, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, so is the next record going to have, like, strings, like, a la Glen Campbell and horns um, and stuff? Would you ever consider doing, like, a Neil well, Diamond-esque? Not, not a hundred percent in that direction, but my viola player does play in the New Bedford Symphony. So I want to, there are a few things that I have really thought about string arrangements for. And even though there's lots of strings on my stuff now between her and the keyboard strings, you know, that, 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 okay. I was like, I think I want, I want to get into, you know, record a few songs like that. And it, you know, it, it can be, it can be my kind of Boston sound and Rocky songs on the album too. I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't care. I'm not strapped into trying to be any type of sound. But the last few records were definitely influenced by that '60s kind of AM. Has your like musical education? I mean, obviously, when you started playing guitar, you didn't you didn't go to lessons. You, like you said, you were just. Well, we met Frank, Tommy White, and I. They had a, a program at Berkeley for for inner city inner, inner oh, really? city kids. Right. Yeah, awesome. So what was, was it called? Do you remember? I forget. We went. We would go on Saturday mornings. They'd give you some theory lessons. Whatever we had to sat through, we knew at the end of it we could go to a practice room. <laughs> and that just, was the end goal? That was the end goal. And so that's where we met Excuse Frank me. Frank Dela, the bass player, because he went to Boston Latin, and he lived in JP, and that's how we became friends, huh. through, those, through those. And, uh, yeah, it, that was really fun. Uh, so there was a little... Honestly, I didn't... I didn't get anything out of it, but if, if you know, I'm sure Tommy did. Tommy was a little more inclined to, mm-hmm. you know, musically, uh, but we just go into a rehearsal room and play as loud as we could and scream, you know, because like, you know, because we could. <laughs> so do you think that these next albums will have more of like, would you, would you write any of that stuff yourself? Um, I have. Uh, intentions of taking the Richie Parsons thing to, to a third album for sure. Okay. But I also have, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better term, a, a, a pretty aggressive punk album uh, in me too. Uh, EP's worth as of now mm-hmm. of stuff that I recorded. Um, just that's pretty aggressive. Um, I recorded a few songs with uh, Brendan Roach and... Um, Matt Woods a few oh, years shit. back. Yeah. So Brendan plays drums, Matt plays bass, and my buddy Doug Woods. plays guitar. Yeah, he'd be great to talk to. Mm-hmm. I, 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 talk, I text him 
about every two months really? I'll, I'll find a picture of fred sanford or something and send it to him i mean just <laughs> you know <laughs> or just check in with something you know mm-hmm. that made me think of him but uh yeah so i got i got those those songs which may may not exist the way they are but i i showed a few songs to the to mm-hmm. joe from the queers mm-hmm. and he really liked them and you know he was talking about maybe recording one or two of them and it just kind of went by the wayside, you know. But I still got them, and I think they're really good. So, uh, yeah, I got—I I definitely got a, a, another punk album in me. And and my own stuff is just like that—that—that's just it comes when it comes. Mm-hmm. Would this be a new thing, or do you think this would be under? I just another... do it to do it and see if people like it. Yeah, you know, uh, the way I. Did, would go about it was like maybe I'd ask Joe from the Queers first if he wanted to produce it or be on it or something because he's I know he knows he's familiar with it he said he liked you know whatever something like that mm-hmm. I'm not just saying his name to say his name but you know <laughs> that's all right no I, but it, it, I would in my mind I, I always try and think about well who would be the right person for this or how could we get this from point A to point B who would I need to help me you know uh so that's you know that's that's what hopefully is on the horizon another uh, another couple of records anyway and the acts will just play if someone asks us to play pretty much mm-hmm. and you play every year yeah yeah we played like three times this year I think mm-hmm. we played in Cambridge at uh, in the Central Square at um, what was it Elks Hall or something yeah that was hysterical that was a popular place to play for a long time yeah and we played with um, all the hardcore metal bands love playing there. Oh, we played with um, the not the Monsieurs, but um, oh, I feel terrible. Helen Mancini plays drums, and oh. her husband's the nut on guitar. Shit, I know um, the name. I just, yeah, I talked to her a little while ago. They were so freaking good, and it was a great bill because we never played with them. They never played with us. They're not kids but they're not as old as us mm-hmm. they're playing insane awesome music and there was a couple of other bands that played too uh that were really great it was she has too many things to name so it might be hard to remember i know she has like four or five products i know always something's so. going on with her um very prolific person yeah um and she had ken stringfellow stories too oh does she because fuzzy toured with the posies posies yeah i don't know if we ever talked about that yeah i'll have to oh ask her about there was a period where ken asked to wear her dress like at shows because he was that's when he was totally just dressing in drag because for the fuck of it (laughs) he used to always ask to wear my skirt i had oh whatever (laughs) hey back then that was probably uh you know gender neutral or gender sure like kurt cobain in a dress sure you know yeah why not Um, I guess I, I can't get through he, the interview without asking you about the police. The police? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's timely because it was 41 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and funny, people have been saying stuff on my Facebook page because there's a, there's a video that my friend shot of the police that, the night that we played. Oh, I want that. Where, so it on YouTube or something like it's that? It's on YouTube. Uh, Kino, K-I-N-O-V. Oh, I... I'll have to give you the real name, so if you if you ever do an edit of this, you can put it in. But well, I mean, I can put the you know, yeah. link in or whatever. Yeah. Um, but my buddy's website—he used to film everything. So on Natural Acts, we have 
footage from forever ago. He worked at MIT and the technology then was reel to reel video. So he had three cameras that had like spaceship cords go into this <laughs> master deck. Yeah. <clears throat> and he shot a bunch of us mm -hmm. and realized he'd burned through six batteries and he only had two left because the batteries were just wearing out like crazy. Uh, so he only got like two songs by the police. Um, <laughs> and it's Sorry, we've the seen, footage. We've is seen really, plenty. Of we've things. seen plenty since. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the uh, the video footage is awesome. And so the deal with the police was, we knew Roxanne because WBCN was playing it. Yeah. That was their single. That's all we knew. And I knew nothing about them. And we got the gig, which was great. I think they played either three or four nights, maybe a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whatever. We played the Friday night, and uh, we thought. We were convinced Frank, our bass player, was the hot shit, best bass player in town. You know, he could he could play. And we go to sound check, and they're on stage. And first of all, I'm like, is that guy, that guy doesn't have any frets on his bass. What the hell is that? You know? I go, and why aren't they singing? They were like jamming, you know, but they were playing. And, and that, that Copeland guy on drums is insane. He's so good. Nobody likes a friendly space. <clears throat> but the friend, I know. It's intimidating to begin with. It's like show-offy. Yeah, it's absolutely. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's pretentious. Is what yeah, is. yeah. So they did sound check, and they didn't. I go, hey, did they even play a song? You know, like what were they doing up there? And they were just, you know, they were jamming, which is still foreign to me. Yeah, yeah. Want to jam? I don't know. You have a song you can teach me? I'll play. Pick a key. What? Yeah. What's a key? Right, right. Yeah. So if I start in it, does that mean I have to end in it? No. So. Anyway, so we were just like, wow, geez, these guys, are, I think they're good. Uh, yeah, I guess I like them. And then they played their songs, and they, mm -hmm. they had a great set. I think they probably played the same set twice. It was when the bands would play two sets a night. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so after Soundcheck, I think it was BCN, or maybe it was Straw BCN had this, like, signing or something. So there was a Strawberries on Boylston Street. Uh, down in Copley mm -hmm. and so we went down there with them and you know hung out with them and as I say we were kind of were chummy with the uh, the booking agent Copeland's brother and uh, you know we went back we played our show we had a blast it, it was crazy and like in between sets I had this really cool uh, blue Pan Am flight bag like they started reproducing them in the 90s just a square bag that says Pan Am yep, mine yep. Was, my neighbor was a pilot and uh, in it, I had like my guitar cord, a uh, bottle of chloroseptic, because I knew I, <laughs> if I was screaming my head off, I would want to put some spray. That's some awesome. And Sting says to me, don't use that before you sing. He goes, you'll ru ruin your voice. Use it afterwards. I said, I was like, okay, thanks, Sting. And then, and then, 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 then like, in the same, right, in the same, in the same, uh, you know, between sets thing, he farts. And he looks at oh, me. Shit. Yeah, he looks at me and he goes, did I know you, I've heard this. Yeah, yeah. Did you poop? Yeah. And I was like, fuck you, you farted, you know? So that whole, that's all I said. That was the end of it. But my brother has taken the story, my brother Billy, who can take any story and turn it into a, a, a novel, you know? Like, you ask him about Sting farting. He's like, oh, yeah, my brother Weedy. He took Sting's head, put it up against his ass, and said, here's a fart for you, you know? <laughs> Whatever, you know? Uh, shit. Uh, but yeah, so it was it was great, and and that's how we you know that's basically what got us to go play 
in New York and got us to maybe go on tour with Ultravox and all that. But mm-hmm. and it was it was just fun. People, uh, that's that they were kind of like the band that all of a sudden radio really mattered. Like bands that were breaking on radio were the ones that were making it. You know. Yeah. Which is nice. Did you see that coming? I mean. Before, well, not for well, me. <laughs> well, no, no, but like in general. Um, yeah, because like Elvis Costello and yeah, if that that kind of second wave of that's what I definitely the British remember. stuff. Yeah, I mean, I was obviously I wasn't old enough, but like looking right. back on it and reading some shit. Yeah, um, Elvis Costello was a radio yeah star. Exactly. That, you know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was that's that's my uh, sting story. Was there, I mean, was there a reason that you were picked? Was it just because you knew the booking agent? Um, just oh, because you were around? No, uh, Jimmy Harold, that owned the Rat, loved us. Yeah. Thought we were just nuts. And, you know, he wanted to give us a, a good gig. I think uh, the Vinny Band played the first night. They were uh, Ralph Fatello, uh, North Shore guys. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they used to sing songs like, they used to sing Italian punk rock songs, like Do the Macaroni or... <laughs> I hope I don't get that. Yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah. Like their their version, Italian American. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, And and they were good. They were a good band to boot. And then Tracks, I think, was the other band. And they were they were like a really grungy kind of city band. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think it was Three Nights, whatever. Uh, I I can't imagine what that (laughs) would be like. You know, because there was definitely a moment in time. When I thought the police were the shit, uh huh. You know, and it yeah. Was, I was working at Newberry in Natick, and I I bought that box set, uh huh. And I was I just was listening to that. That's all I was listening to for like really two months. Two months. Yeah, wow. more or less. That's interesting. I like the real early stuff. You know, those first three records. Yeah. I uh, Ghost mm-hmm. Machine I think is is garbage. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, Synchronicity has good songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember they came back and toured. They played like the Paradise the next time, then maybe the Ophium. <clears throat> then all of a sudden they were at Boston Garden with Bow Wow Wow opening up. And, <laughs> and I said I said to one of my... It's so funny that they would, they would be... Because, I mean, obviously yeah. that's the time. Right, yeah. And I said to someone in Feline's basement, I said, oh, you're going to that show? I said, I, I opened for both of those bands. Because we had played with Bow Wow Wow at the Paradise Future Dance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was crazy. Cool. Yeah. What do you think? I think it was good. I think we did good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to keep you here for two no, hours. No, I, I'm fine. <laughs> I mean, I think I think my my wife, your your uh, your employee, is expecting me home. But ah, uh, well, she, that's she knows, okay. She knows. I got that. about twelve ounces left here. She'll understand. Yeah. So. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that we reconnected. I know it took a little time to get me here, you know, from the spring, and then you know. All right. A, a, Actually, probably it's been a year since you first asked me. Probably, yeah, but yeah. I filled my time with other other people. Oh, I know, I know. You, you know? weren't sitting here waiting for a year. No, no, sure. I know. But like, uh, you know, there's definitely people who, you know, are are busy and have have yeah. shit going on. And I, mean, I think everybody's busy. And, and coming coming to Alston to take time to talk talk to me for an hour is not, you know, top priority for most people. So well, I, it was I totally it, get it. It was essential. I'm glad I did, and I got to listen to my first podcast tonight. Yours on the way over here. This is your that was your first one? Yeah, Jesse had to Jesse had to put it on the phone for me. <laughs> show me how to listen to She goes, You have a podcast app. I go, Really? I go, everyone listens to those things. So, 
We loaded you right up, and I, I picked the Mark McKay one and listened to it. I think there's a lot on, not on mine, but I think there's a lot in general that you would fuck. Those guys that Jesse listens to, I think you would, they would crack you up. Oh, I have to, I'll have to ask yeah, her. Yeah, ask her. I think yeah. those dudes would... would, would uh, I know. To me, it's, to me, like, a podcast is like, what do I need? It's like, what do I need? Uh, you know, another password for my computer? You know, old people, old people yeah, thought, yeah, like, yeah. oh, no, now what does this mean? You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, my dad asked the same thing at Jesse's. He was like, can you show me how to mm-hmm. listen to Jay's podcast? Well, there you go. Um... And God but bless Jesse. I do want. I, I was going to say that I, I would love to be a fly on the wall with you on uh, driving in, singing to whomever to yourself. I guess. Oh. Not to your phone. On my phone. Yeah, there's some funny stuff in in the, those saved saved messages. Like even if it's like a, I, I have a funny rhyme or something <laughs> something silly, you know. And then I listen to some of it back and I go, what the hell was I thinking then? Or you can kind of tell, like, maybe it's late at night and I'm a little tipsy and I'm going, hey, 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 hey. You know? <laughs> Yeah, that's usually how I am. Uh, like, when I when I, when I want to do, like, the intros to these, uh-huh. and I'm like, I've had a few, yeah. and I'm like, meh, meh, and, and then I end up doing it, like, 12 times in a row because I can't right. <laughs> Well, thank you. Awesome. Thank Appreciate you, Jen. it. Appreciate it. Ooh, in your eyes, that sky